Hey everybody, this is Jeff, and I have not heard the show that you are about to hear. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are too. I was just out of town for a week, taking a vacation with the uh, wife and kid, and asked Sandon and Anna to look after the place for me, and uh, gather they've uh, been busy. I'm just here with a quick announcement, because I'm back in town just in time to tell you that the Minnesota Public Radio member drive is beginning. And wait, don't go away. This is just very brief. If you like In The Loop, we have rigged up a special arrangement this time for you to show your support through kind of a special In The Loop membership. We've got some particular links that they kind of, you go through the process just like everybody else. But uh, behind the scenes, it will show up as a membership linked to our show, which is just great for us, <laughs> of course. But it's great for the organization to sort of see that In The Loop is supported and uh, to see that there are people out there who appreciate digital content. So wherever you may be, whether you're... Uh, around the world or across the country or here in Minnesota. If you are up for a Minnesota Public Radio membership or if you need to renew this time, use the links on our website or on our Facebook page. So intheloopshow.net is the website. Loopfacebook.net, of course, is the Facebook page. And uh, thank you to everybody who avails themselves of this nifty little option. With that said, on with this mysterious show. Hey, everybody. Sandin here. Jeff's on vacation, and I am in total control of the show. Let's go. NASA and moon trips. The Democrats and the supermajority. American Idol and Simon Cowell. What do these have in common? Well, they're stories about losing something. Something that's a big deal to the person or persons losing them. Stories of living without. And okay, okay, I'm not totally alone here. Uh, our part-time producer, Anna Weggle, has been helping me out do the show this week. And um, we were kicking around ideas for what we do with Jeff Gone, and we got a little themey. You see, this is like our first in the loop without Jeff ever. Uh, and we thought we'd base our show on that, on tales of living without something. In our case, Jeff. But we figured there's got to be lots of great stories out there of people living without all sorts of things. So we pitched this idea to our network, and we got back a ton of great responses. And you're going to hear a bunch of them today. Like this guy, Godan Nambudiripad. He's from Burnsville uh, here in Minnesota. Uh, winter is always here, and he's living without a snowblower, and he's been doing it for the last 30 years. That's a lot of shoveling. Uh, good luck on your lower back there, Godan. Amanda Ladyha in Chaska, Minnesota, wrote in to say she's living without a washer and dryer, and, um, quote, it sucks. Uh, and Grant Balfour in uh, Lake Worth, Florida, says that he's living without the future of the space shuttle program. Aren't we all, Grant? We're all feeling that pain. Uh, Matt Smith says that he gave up his house, his car, everything he owned because he packed up and moved to South Korea to teach for a couple of years. So he's living without a lot of stuff, but he's gaining uh, a bunch of new experiences. Um, unfortunately for him, though, he found out that uh, imported beer and pizza is really expensive there. So he's going to live without a lot of spending money, too. And of course, being in the middle of a recession, we got back a lot of responses of people living without jobs or health care and that's understandably really tough. But we also go back some responses we totally didn't expect to hear. Like one lady from Chicago wrote in to say that 
She just discovered recently that she may have to live the rest of her life without something that is a total staple to my life, probably to your life, and probably to most of the people you meet's lives. So I had to call her up and find out more about what's going on with her. So uh, I got the phone ringing, and we are about to speak to Regina Rodriguez-Martin. Hello, this is Regina. Hey, Regina. It's Sandin from In The Loop. Hi. So you wrote into us, Regina, saying that you think you may have to live your life without wheat products. I know. It's kind of impossible. I'm surrounded, of course, by wheat stuff all the time. So uh, what happened? I mean, how did, how did you realize that you might have to go wheatless? Just eating in general was, was becoming very painful. And so through my own process of elimination, I just started experimenting with cutting out different things And I thought it was dairy, I thought it was sugar, I thought it was a lot of things. And finally, I realized it must be wheat. And finally, when I stopped, you know, the wheat, that's when the stomach ache stopped. Oh, no, that must have been like a a dreadful moment when you're suddenly like, "Uh uh-oh. It was wonderful because the pain was gone. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I can eat and it doesn't hurt afterwards. And then after a few weeks, I realized, wait a minute, is this going to be permanent? Yeah. (laughs) So you're going to go get tested for celiac disease. Yeah, then that's it. There's apparently no cure for it. You just have to live your life without gluten. Now, I didn't know people could uh, develop celiac disease. I thought people were just sort of either born gluten intolerant or not. Apparently, celiac disease can happen at any point in your life. You don't have to be born with it. It it can be triggered by things like... uh, surgery or pregnancy or just extreme uh, emotional stress, I guess, of some kind. There's really no knowing what causes it. Huh. And have you been having a particularly stressful time or is it you just have no idea what might have been triggering your, your well, wheat problems? Yeah, I've never had surgery. I've never been pregnant. And, you know, basically nothing applies to me except uh, stress. So it's got to be stress related. I guess. <laughs> What's stressing you out right now, Regina? Besides not being able to eat wheat, of course. <laughs> Um, I had a really rough summer and just sort of like discovering things about my own personal history. And, and I tend to be very stressed out all the time. I tend to be a very nervous, frightened person. And I was just really trying to work on that. And in the process of going through that, I just uncovered even more behaviors and more things about myself that just made me just sort of despair for a while. Right. And then now something like this happens, and I'm sure that just adds a whole nother... <laughs> Layer well, on the cake, uh, forgive the exactly, metaphor. Exactly, exactly. Layer on the cake. And it really shuts down that my main coping mechanism in life has been cake. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, it's all this sort of weird, bizarre thing that folds in on itself. It's like, what has been my main stress response? Eating sugar and cake and cookies, and now that's all gone. Oh, no. So I don't know. I guess I need to start drinking or smoking or something. <laughs> or do you think maybe this is uh, in any way there's there's some uh, part of, of the cosmic universe that's sort of helping you, making you deal with this stuff, you know? You, it's taking away your crutch now, and you're just going <laughs> to basically, it's just going to be you and your stress, and you're going to have to find a way to deal with it. And maybe this will be like a tool that will help you build, you know, more resistance and more power as you sort of realize you can conquer this. You can conquer anything, you know? Well, I don't believe in a mechanistic universe, so no, no, that one has never occurred to me. Um, But I definitely have noticed the irony, and I definitely realize that I'm going to have to deal with reality in a new way. The one clear benefit is that I'm, I'm cooking a lot more, and I'm eating a lot more fruits and vegetables and nuts and beans and that sort of thing, because I can't grab a sandwich 
anymore. You know, and I can't even grab a can of soup anymore because processed foods have wheat and gluten in them. So I'm not eating hardly any processed food, which is a drag, but I also feel healthier and I've lost a little bit of weight. And so I'm like, okay. Yeah. Right. Wow. The diet you just described, you know, with fresh fruit and vegetables and nuts. I mean, you'd make Barbara King solver jealous <laughs> with that, you <laughs> yeah, know, sort of holistic well, diet. Exactly. I'm, I'm basically on a holistic diet at this point. You know, this sounds like a, a really difficult thing to be living without, but it sounds like you're, you know, you're getting some some good side of it. And uh, whatever happens, I hope uh, I hope you figure out how to make it work for the best for you. Thank you very much. I think I think it'll be okay. That's Regina Rodriguez Martin in Chicago. And if you have any great uh, wheat-free, gluten-free recipes, post them to our Facebook page, and we'll pass them along to her. And while we're near the phones, uh, of course, we opened up our in the loop listener line to stories of living without. And um, let's check on some of those right now. New messages. Hi, this is Joanna Cortez, and I live in St. Paul. My husband and I are living without brunch out. When I first moved here about three and a half years ago, we tended to eat brunch out a lot. And uh, he's always on the hunt for a great sausage patty, and I'm a big pancake person. So now that we bought a house and we're saving for some bigger things, we have decided that we're going to have to save brunch out for gatherings with friends. And now we tend to cook brunch at home. So every Saturday morning we're at home scrambling up some eggs and uh, go buy the good coffee. But uh, actually it's kind of fun. So that is what we're living without. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hi, in the loop. This is Sarah Gossman from Chatfield, Minnesota. And right now, I'm studying in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, at Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. And what I am living without right now is folders. When I left Minnesota, I figured it would be easy enough to get my school supplies once I got to South Africa so I wouldn't have to haul those along. I've been able to find notebooks and pencils all right, but I have looked in countless stores and have been unable to locate folders. I'm a pretty organized person, so I'm having a bit of a hard time with just shoving my school papers in random spots. I was, of course, expecting there to be differences between my time in Minnesota and my time in South Africa. But this is one difference that took me by surprise. We'll get to uh, more of your comments from the listener line later in the show. But for now, I want to check into one particular story we got in. This guy wrote in to say that he is in the middle of winter. It's 22 degrees where he is, and he's living without heat, without warm water, without electricity, without landlines. And the local stores, they're out of, like, milk and bread and pretty much all the basic foods. And get this, even gas stations are starting to turn up dry. People are even siphoning gas from parked cars. So I had to call this guy up. Patrick Bishop is his name. And, uh, Patrick, you're not in some, you know, third-world country. Where are you? Oh, no, we're, we're on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. Okay, so what has happened to make your town turn into this uh, post-apocalyptic? Oh, well, we've been seeing snow since last Friday. We're slightly over two feet here at this point, and it's still coming down. I haven't seen a plow truck since the storm started. So you guys are right in the middle of what uh, I think the East Coasters are calling their snowmageddon. Yes. You'd think Pennsylvania's seen snow before, but you're describing like a level of chaos I wouldn't have expected. Oh, with, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, I could probably throw a stone and hit where the local salt dump is for the state trucks. But right up there, especially by the salt dump, is some of the worst road in the area. The snow's been packed down so hard, they're saying the plows aren't even uh, 
being able to penetrate the ice that they have on the roads out here. It sounds like from what you're describing, uh, you know, you've got hoarding, stealing gas, lack of supplies. Yeah. It's like Mad Max over there. It, yeah, well, we, we definitely have gone back to almost like settler time. It's, uh, there, there's been power out. I know they're having troubles getting ambulances around out here. Uh, heard a report of uh, them basically loading the injured up on sleds and pulling them out to roads to where the actual, he can get to the ambulances. But uh, all in all out here, we're suffering predominantly with the gas shortages that are going on with everybody having uh, gasoline generators. As soon as the electric and all that went out on the first night, that's when the mad rush for gas started, mad lines, and temperaments down there. You, you actually sound a little cold. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of warming up now. Uh, uh, basically, <laughs> life's <laughs> evolved day by day. It's uh, periods of attempting to get warm between shoveling out more and more snow, and when you're done with the driveway, you just move out to the road. And what are you doing at night? How are you sleeping uh, and staying warm? I mean, do you have a, a, a pretty sturdy sleeping bag? Are you going to a shelter or something? Or? Well, uh, shelters and that have been difficult because, of course, uh, I have uh, some pets here I'm trying to manage as well. When push comes to shove, we drive out to the rest area, sit with the car running and my animals running around in there, and I catch a couple hours of sleep before I come back out. And The main issue has been trying to save the water lines in the apartment. Uh, I've... Uh, Come up with uh, some MacGyver tricks, if you will. I've got uh, windshield washer fluid. I've gone around and filled all the commodes so that way they don't freeze and crack. I've got all the spigots running in here to keep the water moving. And so far, <laughs> knock on wood, we're down to 22 degrees in there, and we still haven't frozen up. So, Are there any other tricks you've been using to keep warm and to keep sane during this? Well, you, you definitely have to keep moving. As for the sanity, this is uh, looking for employment here recently. This has been kind of a nice break from that stress. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, in comparison, my goodness. I have an option to sit at my desk and about 50 resumes, or I could dig myself out. And it, it, It's been a nice break, to be honest. I mean, there, there's a limit to what we control, and I especially suspect those that have been seeking uh, employment have come to <laughs> gather that exact same uh, opinion of life. Well, you know, I really appreciate you taking some time to uh, talk to us. Hey, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate you killing the time with me here. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> stay warm, and I, I really hope you get, you know, some heat on or something so you can get a good night's sleep. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like you'd really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time. That was Patrick Bishop in Brownsville, Pennsylvania, and uh, hopefully soon he'll be slightly warmer. Now, we were able to get in touch with Patrick because he's a member of our Public Insight Network. Despite the fact that he didn't have electricity, he was able to check his email on his phone. He found our email and responded, and next thing you know, he's sharing a great story with us. If you want to share great stories with us in the future, go to intheloopshow.net and look for sign up for the network and next time we send out a call looking for stories or songs or poems or whatever uh, you could be the one responding to that call and i want to turn the microphone over now to my co-conspirator and our part-time producer anna weggle she is about to hit a one-year anniversary of living without something and to celebrate she decided to take our recording equipment to uh, a special location and send back this dispatch. 
Hi. Okay. Listen for a minute. Did you hear that? Okay, hold on. Let me walk you to another room. Okay, listen. Nothing. You just heard the sweet, sweet music of an absolutely silent and peaceful apartment. Today is my 25th birthday. Happy birthday, me. And I'm proud to report to you that for the first time in my whole life, I'm living without anyone. No roommates, no family members, no pets, just me. Well, me and my five plants, two of which are currently in questionable health, but I digress. I did a tally in my head today of how many roommates uh, that I've ever had from the day I was born until April of last year. 30. They've been lovely and great people for the most part, but at about this time last year, I could not do it anymore. I just couldn't. I couldn't. Let me paint a picture for you uh, of my last living situation. I was living with two of my best friends in the whole world, uh, but every morning, without fail, I woke up in a complete panic over whether someone was showering in my designated time slot. Most of the time, someone was. And uh, did my dental floss get knocked into the toilet and then gently placed back in its spot? Yes. And once, someone left a dish covered in guacamole in the sink for three days. It smelled so bad that as one of my roommates groggily walked out of her bedroom in the morning, she took a deep breath and had to run for the bathroom to puke. So this time last year, I loaded up everything I own and I set out a few blocks north and a few blocks east to the tiny little pocket of life that I now call home. And it's been awesome. For example, uh, you know how the Midwest winter forces you to wear 17 pounds of clothing that weigh you down and chafe your body all day long? Well, I've got that problem taken care of now. The second I walk in my door, the pants come off. Pants off apartment, 24-7. I'm living the dream. I have a secret, though. One that slightly complicates my delicious plan of eternal solitude. Okay, here it goes. I'm not big on alone time. Not being around people for too long makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong or that I'm missing out on life or that I'm in a void where nothing matters and time stands still. Let's rewind to October of last year. I get the swine flu and I get it hard. In order to spare friends and fellow employees of the dreaded disease, I sequester myself in my tiny apartment for four days. No visitors, no errands, just me, my naps, and season five of Lost. I don't even care that I was sick during those days. That's not what I remember. It's all the alone time that almost killed me. 
I crave human companionship and laughter and conversation and storytelling. And as beautiful as Jack, Kate, and Sawyer were, they just wouldn't listen to me. So here's my pickle. I'm too controlling and neurotic to share my space with someone, but I crave human contact at all times. So far, my solution has been to schedule after-work activities for myself from the second I leave work until the second I get ready for bed, and it works. And in this tiny apartment is where I will remain until I find that one magical person, male or female, doesn't even matter, that perfectly suits my living habits, or I guess, is so completely wonderful and impressive and perfect that I don't mind. The musings of our part-time producer, Anna Weggle. So far, we've heard lots of stories of people living without things. But living without can be a global story, too. Okay, so just try to imagine, what would the world be like without a hook-billed hermit? Or wait, how about conservancy fairy shrimp? Or even giant golden moles? Okay, well, maybe it's easy for you to imagine life without these guys, because you probably haven't seen them in your life. But that doesn't mean they aren't important. But sadly, these guys, along with hundreds of other critters, are on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List of Endangered Species. But with endangered species, so many of them we almost never encounter. And there's so many plants, animals, uh, insects, you name it, that at any moment could just go extinct. You have to wonder, would the world really fall apart? To get an answer to that question, I called up Professor Stuart Pym. Stuart Pym is the Doris Duke Professor of Conservation Ecology at Duke University. And when you Google search endangered species expert, he comes up first. Stuart, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So uh, when I look at the numbers for how many species go extinct every day, I see all sorts of stuff from 35 to over 100. And uh, some reports I even saw claim that we use like three species every hour. And I have to say, I'm kind of skeptical, but where do these numbers come from? Well, I think it's difficult to quantify how many species go extinct per hour because we really don't know how many species there are. But what we can say with a great deal of certainty is how much faster species are going extinct now than they were before human impact. A species has about a one in a million chance of dying each year. And what we're doing to species is we're making them have a one in a thousand chance of dying. It's a lot riskier to be a species now than it was in the past. (laughs) Yeah, not as fun as it was. How long since human impacts really started taking hold? Like hundred. They've really been taking hold in the last few hundred years. Wow, what were we doing back then that was uh, so? Well, we were beginning to explore. You know, exploration really got started in in fifteen hundred when Columbus got to the Caribbean and uh, Cabral got to Brazil, and um, we were very careless about moving species around the world. Uh, We've introduced rats and cats and goats to all sorts of remote oceanic islands, and that hasn't helped things. Now, it's sad that we're losing these creatures, but I want to ask you a question that may offend your your conservation seers. Do we really need all these creatures on the endangered species list? Say we lose, like, a western leopard toad. Is the ecosystem really going to collapse? Some of these species are going to be things that we would miss. But let me give you an example of one of those obscure species. Um, In Florida, I work with a bird called the Cape 
Sable Seaside Sparrow. Uh, <laughs> Say that five long, times fast. Yes, Cape Sable Seaside Sparrow. Right. Um, it's an unlovely little brown bird that lives in the middle of the marshes, and on just the right morning in April, it crawls up a stem and goes boom and crawls down again. That's its song? That's its song. It's an unlovely bird with an unlovely song. <laughs> okay. You might say, who cares? But the reality is a million people visit the Everglades every year, and they want that beautiful national park to be a refuge for wildlife. They come in large part to see that wildlife. And if we lose that species, it means that we're not managing that national park well. So before you write off an obscure species, you have to realize that you're also protecting its home. And that home is likely to be a very beautiful place. It's likely to be a threatened place, or else it wouldn't have a threatened species living in it. Hearing stories about uh, endangered species is sort of one of those things that, you know, it, it hurts and you, you sort of shed a silent tear. But there's it's like one of those millions of things when related to the environment where you just don't think you could imagine humans changing what they're doing, especially when it comes to our you know, need to sort of grow and, and turn habitats into ours. Is there any hope for the fact that we could still develop, grow our cities, grow our, uh, you know, our economy and somehow find a way to keep species thriving? You bet. Some of this is just hard-nosed, flinty-eyed economics. And let me give you an example. The greatest treasures of biological diversity are the world's tropical rainforests. Tropical deforestation is the single major cause of species extinction. Now, when we burn those forests, we put carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That carbon dioxide contributes to global warming. The cheapest way of taking care of the global warming problem is to pay countries not to burn their tropical forests. It's simply the cheapest carbon for the buck. You sound surprisingly optimistic for a guy who spends all his time <laughs> studying animals that are on the brink of death. Yes. Uh, what's your secret? <laughs> well, you know, it's because we can do so much. Uh, I mean, yes, uh, you know, the estimates of how fast species are going extinct uh, come from the work that my students and I do. But we're all engaged in working with local communities, and we know that there is so much hope, so much potential by working with with local communities, people who are often very poor, and finding alternative solutions so that, you know, they can live sustainable lives. And that's very powerful. It uh, it motivates us. It, It tells us that there's a lot of things that we can do. Well, Professor Stuart Pym, thanks so much for your time. It's my pleasure. It's been great talking with you. That was the Doris Duke Professor of Conservation Ecology at Duke University, Professor Stuart Pym. Now, with Jeff gone, I am pretty much the king of my cuberhood. Of course, Anna Weggle's been helping me out, but she sits in a completely different part of the building, so for the most part, I'm all alone. And, and the best part is, I am my own boss. Now, don't get me wrong, Jeff is a great host to work for, really nice guy, but it's pretty awesome to be your own boss. So, in honor of Mr. Horwich, uh, constantly writing songs for the show, I decided to write a song myself about how cool it is to be the one in charge. Goes like this. I'm living life without Jeff. To miss a difference, you'd have to be deaf. There's no one working on a chord progression for a musical about the recession 
Or responding to my every suggestion with the bad Sean Connery a walking impression. And by the way, In the Loop is my very favorite radio program. I'm living life without Jeff, and my day has a ton of time left. Cause I'm not calling far-flung nations Hunting guests till it tries my patience And editing 40-minute conversations Down to five Yeah, without Jeff here it's been kind of nice There's no one to get a snack with And when I'm bored There's no one to shoot the crap with And when I get distracted No one will put me on track So it won't be so bad When Jeff gets back New Messages um, my name is Stephanie Sundy. I'm living in Rosemont, Minnesota, and I've decided to give up using my cell phone because, you know, it's just, it's such an expensive commodity. I can use a landline for a lot cheaper than $60, $70 a month that I pay for my cell phone. Any sort of, like, instant communication, I can do that on my computer. I'm 20 years old. I'm going to school. I'm lucky to have a part-time job. One day I was just trying to figure out what expenses I could cut. And when it came down to it, the cell phone was one of the only things I could cut. I mean, I can't exactly cut out rent or food. At first, ever, it was a huge transition for myself and everyone around me. Well, the other day, I was, I was trying to get to work, and, you know, there was a blizzard out, and I was going to be late, and it's just like, okay, well, I can't exactly call into work. I don't have my cell phone. don't know how to get a hold of them. It's just like, okay, so I'm going to be late and they're going to be wondering if I crashed or what's going on, but I'm not sitting there texting all the time. I'm not tempted to text during work, things like that. It's kind of nice. I'm going to try and keep it up, but I'll probably revert back to going to the cell phone in a few months. That was Stephanie Sunday, another person who came from our great In The Loop network. Now, we're going to close out the show with one more example of someone living without Someone wrote in, Christina Knights, and she said that her family was going to be living without their copy of People magazine. They're giving up their subscription. And on the face of it, that's not a very big deal. The cool thing is what they are cutting back for. They're cutting back all kinds of luxuries to save up money for something really special for her husband. So I called her husband up, John Knights, and um, this has to do with a profession or, I guess, hobby of yours, John, right? What is it? Well, I'm the official town crier of the city of Minneapolis. I've been invited to compete in the World Town Crier Championships in Chester, England this summer. So you're saving up to, to fly out to England to basically town cry? I mean, <laughs> That's right. And, and I kind of came into it in a uh, strange backward manner because I was invited to the World Championships before I really was a town crier. The organizer thought that I should be in this because I was telling him I'm in Renaissance fairs here. And uh, he says, well, I think you'd be pretty good at this. You do proclamations, right? And I go, yeah, sure I do. (laughs) So I had to go to my city council member and say, hey, you want a town crier from Minneapolis? I don't think there is one. So they had me go into a city council meeting 
read a city proclamation, and they said, all right, you're in. So I am the official town crier of Minneapolis. So can you give us a little demonstration of uh, what exactly you do here? All righty. Uh, let me get my bell. One moment. to In the Loop from Minnesota Public Radio. That rolling of the R, that sound chills down my spine, man. That's the intended effect. When is the competition exactly? It's going to be held uh, the week of June 13th through 20th. One thing about it, what, which is fun, it's, it's for lazy people because you don't have to memorize lines because you're always reading from a text, and it always has to be exactly to the last iota exact in these competitions. If you get a syllable off of what you have written down, they tick you off a tenth of a point. So you've got, uh, you know, about four months or so to prep for this. What are you doing to get prepared? Are you just, like, running around the house being like, I like coffee. Have you seen the remote? Well, the (laughs) thing is about it is when I'm uh, up there, I turn it up to 11, and so I keep just enough voice to be able to do that 125 words, and then it's gone. And so, uh, you know, not need for too much uh, practice because you can pretty much uh, roach out that voice pretty easily. Got to keep it rested. I need lots of massages. <laughs> Throat massages. <Ugh. laughs> yeah. Well, John, this seems like a really worthy cause to give up your People magazine subscription. I hope you guys can live without it, but I, I wish you the best of luck and hope you do really well in the Town Crier competition this June. We sacrifice where we can there, Sandin. Thanks. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening to my first attempt at hosting this. Of course, if you want to know more about our show, just go to intheloopshow.net Or check us out on Facebook. You can take a shortcut there by going to loopfacebook.net. And um, that's the place where most of the action is for our show. So anyway, thanks for sticking around. Next week we may have a show. Uh, We may not, depending on how things go. Jeff and I have some meetings. But we'll be back soon with a full episode of In The Loop and all the good things you've come to expect from it. For now, let's wrap this one up with uh, some credits. But uh, why don't we bring back ye old John Knights to have him do it for us. John? In the Loop is produced this week by Sandin Totten and Anna Wegger. You can find out more at inthelookshow.net. Jeff will be back next episode. Until then, stay warm and have a good week. You too, John. Bye, everybody.